Welcome back to Gnostic Insights. My name is Dr. Sid Ropp, and I'm your host. there and welcome back to Gnostic Insights. There have been a few things on my mind and, you know, I've mentioned in the past that I do listen to the radio preachers because I want to hear what they're teaching. I want to see what is the current state of Christian belief and knowledge. And by now you realize that this Gnostic gospel is definitely Christian because salvation and redemption revolves around the Christ. But The thing that is difficult for me is that there are a few basic principles in this Gnostic gospel that are in disagreement with what is taught out there generally as Christianity. And I believe that those differences were hardwired into the Bible when the Nicene Council sat down around 330 AD and decided what books to keep and what books to throw out. And among the books that they threw out was the Tripartite Tractate, which is the primary source that I am deriving my Christian knowledge from, in addition to the New Testament. See, Christians are taught not to seek external sources of truth, that the truth is entirely captured and relayed to us through the Bible. And if you accept what are called extra-biblical, which means outside of the Bible sources, such as the Nag Hammadi or the Qumran scripts, the tripartite tractate that I'm sharing with you, that you'll be led astray, that you'll come to wrong opinions, and that you are part of the problem and not part of the solution. I don't want to be part of the problem. I want to be part of the solution. That's why I do not give up the basic idea that the Savior that we call the Christ is a special ethereal character that was designed and sent down to us to help us here. Now, ordinary Christian belief states that Christ is the original Son of God that was made at the beginning, was the first emanation of thought from God. And I disagree with that. In the tripartite tractate, there seems to be a distinct difference between the Son, who is the first emanation of the thought of the Father, and the Christ, who was produced after we second-order powers were sent to earth. And the specific mission of the Christ is to help us out. So the Christ figure has, I, I like to say, all the mojo of the Father and the Son and the fullness of God. And the things that Logos learned from falling to earth and then returning back to the fullness, such as how to operate within a boundary and the existence of the Demiurge and the Archons. The Christ was designed to overcome all of that. Where we disagree is what happens to you if you don't accept the Christ here on earth before you die. 
and conventional teaching is that you will go to hell and be tortured forever. That's absurd. That's absolutely absurd on the face of it. Because the nature of the Father is love. The nature of the Son is love. The consciousness of the Father and love are intertwined inextricably together. More than that, we are emanations from the Father and the Son through the hierarchical pattern of what is called the fullness of God. We come from above. How on earth, how in this cosmos, would all of us not return to the fullness above? If we did not go back because we ignorantly or stubbornly or through misguided, overblown egos believe that we're the be-all and end-all, and that's what sends you to hell for eternity and torture. Well, there's two basic principles that are being violated there. One, how does a loving God punish someone eternally? It is not consistent with the nature of God. Now, I was looking up what it means to fear God, because one of the radio preachers this week said, Oh, you better fear God. That's the problem with culture nowadays. People don't fear God. And the Bible says, why do you fear men whose punishment only lasts for a short period, but you don't fear God whose punishment is eternal? That's entirely incorrect, in my opinion. First off, the word fear is a translation of a Hebrew word, yirah, Y-I-R-A-H, yirah. And it is just as properly, or even more properly, interpreted as awe, as in awesome, A-W-E, awe, which is beholding or seeing something that is so completely beyond our ability to understand and to grasp that we drop our jaws open and our knees tremble because it's so incredible. That's what it means to be awesome. And by the way, as a kind of humorous aside, it really bugs me that on the iPhone with the autofill words, when someone texts me back and they mean to say, oh, isn't that cute? Or, oh, I'm so sorry. That iPhone autofill types in A-W-E because that isn't the word. The word for, oh, isn't that cute? Oh, that's so neat. That's A-H, ah. It's just a sound. It's an interjection. And I'm not so sure that this isn't on purpose by some archon that's in charge of the iPhone as a means of degrading the magnificence of the word ah, A-W-E. When you say, ah, that was really thoughtful of you. It's not A-W-E. A-W-E means you have come face to face with the transcendent God, or you've visited heaven and come back. That's awe, A-W-E. That's the kind of fear you would have. So as I share with you now and then, the main heresy in this Gnostic gospel, as far as Christians, contemporary Christians are concerned, is that God is all loving and forgiving. Gee, isn't that an awful thing to think? Of course, God is all loving. Of course, God is all forgiving. And of course, everyone is going home at the end of time. Because if we didn't go back up, 
the fullness would no longer be full. We come from the fullness. We are the children. We are the fruit of the fullness. That's why people in their near-death experiences are greeted by all sorts of figures who seem to know them and who seem to gather around them to surround them with love and, oh, we're so glad that you're home. That's because we're their children. They know us. We don't remember them, but they know us. It's the story of the prodigal son. In the New Testament, there's a, a story about a young man who was rebellious and he didn't want to stay on the farm. And so he left his father and his brother behind. He took his money and he, and he split to have a good time. Well, things didn't go so well out there in the world. And he eventually found himself completely at the end of all of his money. And at the end of, he had no friends out there. He had no family. He was completely cut off. And there he was slopping a pigsty. He was shoveling manure out of a herd of pigs. And he looked around and he said, what the heck, man? I should just go home. This is ridiculous. It was actually a lot better at home. So he gives up his worldly excursions and he goes home and he is nervous because he's worried that his father will reject him for having run away and taken his money with him. And his brother is extremely angry at him because the brother stayed home and he's been taking care of the farm without his brother's help. So he's really angry at him. But the father holds a big banquet and they kill, what is it, a uh, a goat or something. They have a big barbecue and invite everyone to welcome the prodigal means he was away and he has come home. The prodigal son home. Well, if this earthly father feels that way about his son that stumbled and went away, of course, our heavenly father is going to feel that way about us for having stumbled and gone away. And how many of you, I wonder, are out there in some pigsty shoveling shit? This world that we live in, this culture that is the norm, it's kind of creepy and it's getting worse and worse, in my opinion. These things that you're supposed to be open-minded about. Oh, sadism is cool. Oh, all these sadomasochistic scenes in movies. Oh, that's cool. I just have to be open. Oh, it's cool to cheat on your wife. Don't be such a square. I like to take drugs every day, and the more I take, the better I feel. That's not true. None of that is true. That is the world leading you astray. Of course you're desperate. Of course you feel lousy. Of course things aren't going well, because that culture is not what the fullness had in mind. And this version of our world down here is a imitation. It's a deficiency, is what the tripartite tractate calls it. It's the deficiency of the imitation of the fullness. Because the fullnesses in their hierarchy up there, they dreamed of paradise. They dreamed of this world, basically, and all of us populating it, like, like a holodeck. It's a dream. It's a holodeck projection that they all share, and everything was cool until Logos jettisoned out and tried to set up the reality down here on earth. And things have been going very poorly ever since because unless you have the guidance of the fullness and the eons, unless you're plugged into the son and the father, everything you come up with to do is wrong. It's a mistake. It's wrong-headed. The only way to have a joyful and glorious life full of knowledge and gnosis full of love, 
is to plug in to the source, the one source from which we all come. And all of the people down here, which is most of the people who have gone astray, who lead their lives in anger and lying and cheating and backstabbing and betrayal, all of the the things that make you so sad when you run across them or if you're the victim of them. That's all wrongheaded. That's all bad stuff. And that is the bad stuff that the Christ, the anointed one, came to rectify down here for us because all we have gone astray, as it says. You can't pull yourself up by the bootstraps. You need help. And that's all. The Christ is just there to help. If you didn't deepen your soul believe that the Savior was there to help you, why do you cry out in your distress? Why do you say, oh, oh man, I'm so screwed. Oh man, how am I going to get out of this? Please help. Oh my God, what am I going to do? That's how people feel when they're hitting bottom. And that's when you can put your hand up and Christ said, all you have to do is knock and the door will open. That very second that you give it up, give up trying to be in control, and reach up for the fullness, reach up for Christ's hand. He'll pull you out of that and set you on the road, back on the path to the way things are supposed to be. You've heard this kind of testimony a thousand times, or maybe you haven't, but the testimonies are out there of people who were deep in the throes of error, deep in the throes of everything going wrong. Usually it's related to drugs and alcohol, but not necessarily. It could be related to pornography. It could be related to a habit of lying. Whatever vice you find yourself a victim of, it was cool at first, but now you are bleeding out of every orifice. That's not God's doing. That's not punishment. That's the world's doing. That's the demiurge. That's the archons who are keeping you down because They don't like us. They don't like any of us second-order powers because they're not in control. They're in control if you don't let God be in control, but they're in control if you just let it go and, and plug into the culture because the culture is controlled by the archons. So one point I wanted to make is that as soon as you accept the Christ, you're going to be pulled out of that. You are going to begin going upward and you probably will need to plug into some conventional Christian church or some wise and loving religious body who is not interested in their own cult-like grandness, right? But are interested in literally helping God to instantiate down here helping the God above all gods to instantiate through us. I asked my sister-in-law the other day, and she's a very good Christian, and she loves this Gnostic gospel. So I'm so happy for her. I'm so glad and thankful. So I asked her, what do you think our job is down here? What do you think your job is? Why were you instantiated on the planet? What is the task? What is the job? Because every emanation of the Father has a job to do. That's what the hierarchy of the fullness is. It's the distinct way that all the different jobs go together. It's the job of the Christ to bring us all to redemption and salvation. What's your job? She kind of thought, well, your job is to love God. I'm supposed to love God and, and realize that I come from God. That's a good almost answer. But as Jesus said, love God as you love yourself 
and love your neighbor as you love God. In other words, it's all about love. Our job down here, ladies and gentlemen, is to love one another, is to show love. And that's because when Logos fell and the better part of him, that is the love, returned to the fullness, the broken part of him, the ego, stayed behind. And this is the God of this world. It's the egoic God. He doesn't run on love. He runs on control and power. So you can, one way to tell who's running on God and who's running on the demiurge, control and power is demiurgic, which is pretty much just about every politician, isn't it? It's just about every corporate head, isn't it? Anyone who gains great power and control is probably running off of the demiurge. And they seem to be doing well. They seem to be having a good time. They seem to be in control and who needs God, but there will be a reckoning. Our purpose, and this may be why some of us never do rise to positions of power, our job is only to spread love, is to demonstrate love. And love comes from above, you see. That's why it counters this demiurgic culture. Love conquers all. In the short term, you might lose. In the long term, we all win. Even if you are martyred with love in your heart, forgive them, Father, for they know not what they do. This extreme act, there is no greater love than that a man should lay down his life for his friends. Showing love up to the bitter end. Showing love, not anger. Showing love, not recrimination, not punishment, but showing love is what demonstrates to the fallen demiurge, it's what's supposed to wake him up. It's supposed to go, wow, something, oh, what is this love? What's all this love BS? Where's this coming from? This is why he hates us, because he's resisting the notion of love. The other point I wanted to make was this. Something I heard this week on the radio and something you hear all the time is someone exclaiming, I can't believe God loves me. I can't believe that this great and powerful God even knows who I am, even cares about me, even says that he knows me and loves me and wants to save me. People continually exclaim that. And it's part of so many songs and hymns and popular Christian music. Well, of course, God loves us. We are of God. We're on loan down here in the material world. We're temporarily bonded to this dead material, but that is a temporary condition. And when we loose this mortal coil upon the death of that body, we go up. We go straight up. We don't go to hell. We go straight up because they love us. The fullnesses love us. We're their children. Christ loves us. He came and died and suffered for us. It's his job to remind us of God. We were in the mind of the Son and the Father since the beginning. So, of course, he knows us. And not only that, but he's inside of every part of our living body. We are imminent with the presence of God. Every cell, every organ, Every person, every bee and flower and squirrel and cat and dog, every living thing on the planet or even beyond this planet in the cosmos is a manifestation of the fullness of God. So, of course, they know us. That shouldn't even be the major focus of salvation. 
Oh, God loves me and knows me. Of course you do. And that's why we're going up. Onward and upward. God bless us all.